book of Acts chapter 1. Yes, this is a great place to start reading the Bible, be new to the Bible. You can, if you, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, you can just Google Acts 1 and the initials ESV, English Standard Version. That'll be the translation I'm reading from. I'll do all the rest. You're going to want to see it for yourself. Acts chapter 1, ESV. Our attention will be on verses 6 through 11. The translator heading reads, The Ascension. And as you find your place, let me just comment. Last week we began our study of Acts and we introduced our author, Luke, a physician slash eyewitness slash uh, turned historian slash theologian who wrote not one but two books in the New Testament. They're really a companion set. His gospel about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and Acts, his sequel, Luke's sequel, about the inauguration and first years of the life and ministry and expansion of the church of Jesus Christ. I was reminded this week, listening to someone teaching a class on the book of Acts, and they're saying we often refer to this as the early years of the church, but he said, the Lord could tarry, and he could, we could be in for another, you know, eight to ten thousand years and at which point we would say we are the early church so just to be clear these are the first years not the early years potentially i hope not interestingly if you're if i were to pull this room for those among us the new testament writers if i ask the question which among all the New Testament writers published the most in the New Testament, my guess would be that many of you would answer the Apostle Paul, for he wrote Romans and Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, uh, Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, Philemon. Paul was prolific. But Luke, Luke wrote more, 38,000 words in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, 27 percent of the New Testament. The only authors who wrote more in the entire canon were Moses and Ezra. Luke clocks in at number three. And listen, if if you've not studied this book, the importance of the place in which the book of Acts plays within the entire canon of Scripture cannot be exaggerated. We must have a working knowledge of the contents of the book of Acts, for otherwise there would be large gaps and blank spaces in our understanding of the continuity of redemptive history, what God has been doing throughout history. If not for Acts, we would have a Bible full of letters to churches and cities with no context where these letters and cities came from. We'd be scratching our head on how the grace of God had jumped over the walls of Jerusalem and from Israel to the Gentiles, we'd have a guy named Paul. Who is Paul writing all these letters? And why does he call himself an apostle? There are so many things that we know and believe and experience and read about in the rest of the New Testament that if it were not for Acts, we'd be scratching our heads trying to fill in the blanks. And this is why Luke wrote it, that we may have confidence, assurance, regarding the things we have been taught. Today we consider the final conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. Ironically, the beginning of the church age starts with our founder's departure. Would you look with me? Acts chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to begin reading from the beginning since we're at the advantage of being so early on in the book. 
Our attention will be on six and following. And then I'll pray. Look with me. Verse 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Sumeria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, Two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The very words of God. Would you join me in a prayer for understanding? Father, great God of heaven and earth, turn these words into life-giving bread. Nourish our minds and our souls, our hearts. Water our souls. Teach us, convict us, save us, delight us as we consider what you are teaching us for you and you alone. Hold the keys of life, the answers to all of our questions. Father, meet us here. Fill me with your spirit that I might serve my friends well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, oh, this morning, in our brief moments together, uh, we are going to wrestle with a Christian doctrine, a, a, a teaching of the Bible, a Christian doctrine that is hard to believe. It's hard to believe. Some of the things we read in our Bible, and it might not be what you think I'm going to say, what we, I'm going to bring up. Some of, the, some of the things we read in our Bible, though, are, are, are taught or t- were, are taught by the church. Are, they're easy or easier to believe. Everyone's list is probably different. My list is different. Yours. I find things like the creation accounts and the miracles, uh, the veracity of the scriptures, easy to believe for me. I readily and joyfully accept them without uh, much intellectual consternation. (laughs) While others for you, perhaps you, something like the trustworthiness of the words on these pages and where they came from, the biblical text, you you find hard to believe. You struggle with it. Our, Our lists are different. Yet on all of our lists are probably some similar challenging 
topics that we all struggle to process and accept and embrace and apply, such as forgiveness for sins, for you, your sins, or, or your neighbor's sins. Hard to understand how God can forgive <laughs> me and you. The, the goodness in suffering. How, how could suffering be good? Or, or the problem of evil. And this morning, I want to add another, you're welcome, another hard thing to believe in the Bible. If it, it's not already on your list, the goodness of the ascension. The goodness of the ascension. Why is it better that Jesus departed just as the church got started would it would it not be to our advantage have you ever thought of this you must have thought of this you've been around the church any length of time you're wrestling with the christian faith would it not be to our advantage that he had stayed with us right would it not be more convincing if we could see him if you've read the gospels no but would it not have been easier to follow him if we had some sort of geolocation up on him right how how is it good, better, best that Jesus ascended into heaven just as his church was giving its marching orders here on earth, making what it feels, it feels like that to me, I don't know about you, making our mission so much more difficult. We read this, John Calvin, one of the reformers, he remarks, it is the task of the church. This did not encourage me. It's the task of the church to make the invisible kingdom of Christ visible. To make the invisible kingdom of Christ visible. But if it were up to me, I don't know about you, I'd suggest that we don't make anything invisible, okay? <laughs> Doesn't the invisible part feel like it makes it harder, right? Je Jesus spoke repeatedly prior to his death and resurrection about the about his impending ascension. In the upper room, Peter, Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? <laughs> and Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. To which Peter replied, Lord, why can't I follow you now? They're, they were struggling. John records in his gospel, Jesus, Jesus speaking to his disciples. This, listen to what he said. He says, I do not say these things, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? Be but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts, he's speaking to his disciples. Nevertheless, I tell you, Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now just stop right there. Jesus just said, it's better for me to go away. And ask yourselves, do you not find it odd that typically we celebrate all the different parts of the life and the ministry of Jesus, yet somehow conveniently leave out the ascension? We don't celebrate Ascension Day here, which is on a Thursday, which is part of the reason why we don't celebrate it, because we meet on Sundays. <clears throat> you find it odd that we celebrate all the different parts. We got births, we got deaths, we got life and miracles and ministry. We got his teachings, we have his resurrection, but what about his ascension? And listen, you can't collapse, 
collapsed all that is understood about the ascension and what it is of Jesus Christ into the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're not one in the same. Otherwise, Jesus would still be here. That's the point. In the flesh, he appeared after he died. That's what Paul writes at the end of 1 Corinthians. Just listen. This is, this is what he writes. He writes, For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, right? Familiar passage. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. The veracity of Scripture, this letter's being passed around as hundreds and hundreds of people had seen it and could witness it and could debate it and argue with it if it weren't true, right? Then Peter writes, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, uh, born he appeared also to me, Paul's saying. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. And again, marvel just at that familiar passage and how critical the, books of, the book of Acts is to our comprehension of the end of 1 Corinthians. Paul the apostle. What? That's the book of Acts. The church of God that he was persecuting. Church of the book of Acts. The Gentiles in Corinth, the book of Acts. It's all explained in Acts. But my point is, listen, the ascension is not the resurrection. And the resurrection is not the ascension. And for all the life-changing, world-defining realities of the historic fact that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, there are many, many more life-changing, world-defining realities that are imparted and received to us from the historic fact that Jesus ascended into heaven. Listen, if you have been living the Christian life, right, that's, Luke, Luke was written to the, or Acts was written to the church, that, that we would we'd have confidence in what we've been taught. But, but if, you've, if you've been living the Christian life without an awareness and appreciation for what are the implications of the ascension of Jesus Christ, you have been missing out. If you're missing out, like FOMO, right? The worst case scenario, you've been missing out. This morning, this morning I want us to consider the goodness of the ascension at the very start of the book. Advantage number one. I'm going to give you two this morning. I'm going to give you two this morning. Advantage number one, that Jesus is no longer with us but is in heaven. His ascension was his coronation. If you didn't miss it, his ascension was, was his coronation. Look with me again, verse 6. So when they had come together, the disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus said to them, this is after the resurrection, but before the ascension, he said to them, it's not for you to know times and seasons that the Father has fixed for his, by his own authority. And if you just stop right there for a second, if you don't know the book of Acts very well, uh, but you're aware of all the craziness out there of predicting the times and the seasons. Like, is this the end times? It is the end, near the end, but time is relative. <laughs> this may be the early years of the church. I hope not again. But some have suggested that 
the disciples' question at this point is just further evidence that the disciples simply didn't get it. They were not following along with the program. They're missing the point. But I'm going to beg to disagree. Listen, I'm going to beg to disagree. They were connecting the dots and anticipating just what they should have been anticipating. Jesus, the long-awaited and promised Messiah, had arrived on the scene. Every heart of every believing Israelite was leaping with hope that his presence is ushering in the golden age the restoration of the kingdom of Israel lost on the account of their rebellion, now reclaimed on account of God's steadfast love and unfailing promises located primarily here in the Messiah. Could it be now? That's their question. Is it now? Jesus had conquered the grave and was standing in their presence alive. Luke records eaten breakfast with them. What's easy to miss about the ascension was was the answer to this question. Keep your place in Acts. Keep your finger there or whatever and turn back with me to the very end of the Gospel of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you go back to Luke chapter 24, Remember, the Gospel of Luke is the Gospel of Luke is volume one of two, Acts being volume two. Listen, Luke twenty-four, verse fifty. Luke writes same thing, different perspective, different account. Luke twenty-four, verse fifty, and he, Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, the disciples, they worshipped him. Look what it says. And returned, they're going to obey him. They're going back to Jerusalem to wait for the Holy Spirit. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. They returned to Jerusalem. Luke's entire account of the works, works and the teachings that are continuing of Jesus turn on the hinges, the ascension. He ends the gospel, his gospel, with it, and then he repeats it at the beginning of the book of Acts as well. And why do you suppose, if we now catch this hinge going on and the two accounts, why do you suppose the disciples returned to Jerusalem afterwards, the text says, with great joy instead of sorrow (laughs) or anxiety, (laughs) disappointment? Why? Why did they return rejoicing? What did they know what did they see what were they witnesses to what did they realize at that moment had occurred it's this it's this jesus was going away just as he had told them because jesus was ascending to his throne jesus was sending this 
this was his coronation as king. That's what they now knew. Jesus, who had descended, inserted himself into our story, revealed the whole plot line, was now ascending to his throne. And you have to think of it just, just for a moment, because this word, this word is flexible. You have to think of it as more than just space travel. I was reading recently, they're saying, well, they, he ascended. Yeah, but the people on the other side of the planet said he was descending at that moment. <laughs> they weren't marveled by some sort of space travel going on here. If you turn back to Acts verse 9, we finish with Luke. We're, we're finished with Luke, but if you look with me now, Acts chapter 1, verse 9. And when he said these things, Luke says it a different way, what's happened here. As they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. These words, he was lifted up and he took out what we refer to as the ascension, wasn't simply like a spatial transformation or migration. He was ascending to his throne. This was his investiture investiture, the action, you might say, of, of formally investing a person with honor and rank. As one scholar put it, in his ascension, Jesus was going to a specific place for a specific reason. There's a reason why he ascended. He was ascending into heaven for the purpose of his coronation as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he, and he comments here, it's, that's a structured title, King of kings and Lord of lords, that indicates the supremacy of Jesus in his monarch majesty. I love that. The supremacy of Jesus Christ in his kingly monarch majesty. He is king in the highest possible sense of kingship. The ascension is the, question, the answer to the question regarding the restoration of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Israel. When does it begin? <laughs> now, with Jesus taking his right place beside the Father. So, the goodness of the ascension. Everything Everything you love about the supremacy of Jesus Christ as Lord and governor of history from wars to hurt feelings, from broken marriages to loneliness, to, to spiritually lost children that you long to see rescued, to conflicts without resolution and addictions that keep pulling you back into darkness. As, as, as Tim Keller, a pastor from Manhattan, he said it so well. Here are the implications of the ascension and his monarch majesty. He says, Jesus controls all things for the church. We know this from other books, but here's where it began. He controls all things for the church. And therefore, you, we, we can, you can face the world with peace in your heart. He's at the right hand of God as the executive director of history. I love that. 
directing everything for the benefit of the church. If you belong to him, then everything that happens ultimately happens for you. The the resurrection doesn't quite get you there like the ascension does, does it? That's why Paul writes in Ephesians, the Father seated him at the right hand at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. Where did that happen? Acts chapter 1. The ascension. Jesus is enthroned. That's the goodness of the ascension. He's captain of everything, able to direct the affairs of our lives and the lives of every man, woman, and child from a position of absolute authority all at once, everywhere, and at all times, bound no longer by space and time. In the resurrection, Jesus conquered death. In the ascension, he was exalted to the right hand of the Father. And as one preacher said, (laughs) the ascension means that a human being rules the universe. Just as it should have been. The beginning of the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. Advantage number two. If that were not enough for us and filling in countless blanks and connections. Vantage number two. His ascension makes a way, clears a path for the Holy Spirit. The ascension makes a way, clears a path for the Holy Spirit. Look with me, verse 8 again. Luke, Luke writes, but, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the end of the earth. That's like California. <clears throat> Verse 9, and when he had said these things as he looked on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him away from their sight. It's as, if, it's as if he hit the detonation button, the nuclear option, the pouring out of his spirit upon all his people. The, the spirit, the third person of the Trinity, he, he is going to play a prominent role in the book of Acts, which will help us have confidence in what we've been taught as the Holy Spirit plays a prominent role in our lives as individuals but collectively as a church by Jesus sending the Spirit we now have his presence or limitless presence and power in John, Gospel of John, Jesus clarified, he said it a different way. He said the night before he was crucified, John writes, Jesus promised his disciples 
that he would ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. Later he returns to the theme, but he writes it later in John chapter 16. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Power for witness. Power to be his disciples, to be his ambassadors in between his ascension and his return. Uh, the restoration, the restoration of the kingdom of God begins not only with Christ taking up his rightful place on the throne, but also his pouring out of his spirit. And between then and now and that day when he returns, our experience of the life hidden in Christ, Christians and the church is, is marked by this powerful presence. If you look, verse 8, that, that programmatic statement, it's really a, a summary statement. You might say the structure of the whole book. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Sumeria and to the end of the earth. This is how the whole book lays out. Jerusalem is just going to flow all the way to the end. And to the ends, as Paul, we assume, arrives in Rome. And so then the question Jesus turns on it is, is that it's not that when the kingdom will be restored, but Jesus wants them to understand, no, no, what I want you to know is who is it that will be commissioned to continue to carry his words and deeds to the ends of the earth? It will be us. So this severance of fellowship with him as he goes from the place of, you might say, man to the place of God, heaven, will be marked and, and could be judged better because we will be baptized and filled and sealed and empowered by the Spirit. Now, it's my, gonna be my birthday, so I don't know how all my sermon. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, there's so much more we could say of the comfort that the Holy Spirit provides and, 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 if, and if Jesus were in Piccata City, whatever, Los Angeles, those of us down here in Orange County wouldn't have that same experience of comfort because we have the Spirit, the Helper. Assurance in our hearts, the Spirit groaning that we would cry out, Abba, Father, 
we wouldn't have an advocate. I'm just thinking of all the other benefits that aren't sitting here in this text, but that we, we, we derive and, and we celebrate throughout all the other letters in the Gospels. Uh, the, we have an advocate now in heaven that's right, sitting at the right hand of the Father, standing and pleading for us. We have a hope for the future. That's the end of that text if you look. Men of Galilee, uh, middle of verse 10. Why do you stand looking into heaven? I guess it's a rhetorical question. I don't know. I don't know what you call that. It's, I have a reason. It's because Jesus just left us. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Really, you got a program here for the entire mission and the church age. Jesus will ascend, take his throne, pour out his spirit, the gospel, and the, will advance through the power of the spirit and us as witnesses to the ends of the earth, and then he will come back the same way he left. We'll all be staring in the sky. <laughs> I think, I think most comforting of all is I can't answer the question of where heaven is. <laughs> Scholars debate that like all get out. I can't explain the, the physics, but I can't explain the benefits. When I think of his ascension, all over the New Testament, between now and his return, are sprinklings of encouraging words about what happens to those of us who depart as well. And that's where you get to the question of, where is heaven? Where are those that have, John wrote, and I read earlier, fallen asleep. I pulled up an old document I had old, good, reformed guy from the 50s. He was speaking at a tiny, I wish I was at that little men's retreat. He's speaking at this little men's retreat. And this is what he said. He's speaking of where Jesus is now and our hope that, and reality and confession. It'd be better to be there now than here. Why is it good that he ascended? Listen, he says, it's often asked, where is heaven? Where is Jesus, right? Common the idea is that heaven is far, far away. Far beyond the starry skies, far beyond the farthest star in the sky. And we can apply this to where is Jesus, right? And this is what he says, I do not believe it. He says, I don't believe it. When I die, I will go to heaven, and I think heaven will be right near me. Right close. I cannot see it. Of course not. I have no eyes to see it. I have no ears to hear it yet. But Christ is here and heaven is here penetrating into our present experience. When I die, he said, I shall not have to journey miles and miles, perhaps thousands and thousands and millions of miles to get to heaven. The exit from my body will be the entrance into glory immediate transformation into glory that is my expectation listen to what he says in the glory wouldn't you want to be there to listen to him how i do not know <laughs> for the eye has not seen and the ear nor the ear heard neither have entered into the heart of man i cannot picture to you tonight 
for that we must wait until we get to heaven. But one thing is sure, in heaven there will be glory of threefold perfect fellowship. This to me is sufficient. In the house of many mansions in heaven, I shall have a perfect fellowship with God and see him face to face and know him as I am known. If there were nothing else that in, than that in heaven, that would be enough to make heaven heaven. Where, where is Jesus? Where is heaven? Perfect, sinless, spotless fellowship with God. God is there. My God and my Father, and I will have fellowship with Him forever. <laughs> Listen to us what He says, because we got time. Secondly, there is Christ. Christ, our eldest brother, who died for us who loved us even unto death and bore for us all the wrath of God that we may have everlasting life in him. I long to see him. I will see him. Oh, not just to knock on the door to ask him whether I may come in, but to see him forevermore, to fellowship with him, to enjoy his presence. One more. And even more so, finally, in heaven... There is perfect fellowship of the saints. This is what the ascension teaches me of all of those who precede us. Perfect fellowship of the saints. The saints, all the saints that have gone before us in the absence of the body from Adam to the present moment and to the moment when the Lord shall take the last elect into glory. The whole throngs of the saints will be in heaven and all shall glorify the God of our salvation and perfection, each with their own song expressing their own theme with their own voice in one grand harmony. That will be glory, beloved. <laughs> As he is in heaven, and all who have preceded us are there with him in perfect unity and fellowship. And all that precede us in this church age before he returns. To use the Apostle Paul's words, it's better, better to depart and be with the Lord. But for now, to misquote him, he has work for us to do to the ends of the earth. And he guides us as his king, and invests in us his power that we don't just tell the story and tell the gospel. We speak it with authority that those that hear us might be saved. Would you pray with me? Father, your words, your words illuminate a, our, not only our minds and our hearts, but this dark world. If it weren't for your words and your you're penetrating and inserting yourself into this world, we wouldn't understand where this world has come from and where this world is going and how our 
souls and our persons, our individual personalities and all that we are fit into your grand plan. It wouldn't seem like a plan if it weren't for your words. So this morning, we embrace one more truth that you have ascended, and it is good. It is good for you to have ascended. We rejoice in Jesus' name. Amen.